So what officially is this where we are? This is what we call Lax HQ. What facility is this? This is actually a meeting room. It's a, it's a multi, it's a multi-sport meeting room. This happens, so David Cohen is a teacher here. He's a physical education teacher as well as a coach. So they have a, an office for where, where they all kind of do their work and he's kind of found a home here. So this is where the boys know we always are. It happens to be a fantastic meeting room and yeah, the basketball team actually uses it probably just as much as we do, but lacks HQ. Yeah, yeah. That's for those awesome. who know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm here with Ronnie Bezcomi. Close. Ben Cosme. Oh. It's a good way to start. I even wrote it down. <laughs> <laughs> That's <a> terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's Monday afternoon, um, back at St. John's. So I'm excited because I'm actually planning on coming back and talking to David again. And I've reached out to Sam, and Sam's actually interested, right? So I've been pretty vocal that what y'all are doing at St. John's is pretty awesome. And when I met with David, David blew me away. And everybody I talk to, whether it's, it's Bill at Drip or Mike at Paraland or whoever you talk to, right, that, that's bumped into you guys, everybody's blown away by what y'all are doing here, right, culturally. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not even lacrosse-wise, man, because lacrosse is awesome too, but just culturally, culturally what y'all are up to here is pretty cool, right? Yeah, I mean, definitely feel fortunate to be part of a program like this. And, and uh, what, what David has, has started here, I hope, goes a long way. And, and uh, I think those guys – those guys respect it because I think it's what they're doing, right? It's what everyone who, who's a part of the game in Houston wants to see and where we want to see the sport move. So hopefully we're, we're, uh, we're holding that standard. Yeah, and, and I'm, I mean, I'm fired up about it, and I'm pumped that, that David's giving me the access, right, to just kind of come here and lurk around for days on end <laughs> and talk to you guys. <laughs> just come hang. Come to the Lax HQ. You know now. Now, all I need is uh, – the security code to the gate and I'm in. Yeah, we got that. <laughs> awesome. So let's talk about, I always start with everybody, you know, where, where did you start playing lacrosse? And for me, it's always interesting to find out when you started playing, but not only when, but how, whether it was organized, structured lacrosse or whether it was just, hey, for a few years, it was just me and the guys out in the backyard playing, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah tell me a little bit about how you came to the sport and when you came to the sport. So, uh, Fortunate enough to have grown up in, uh, in Westchester, New York, Westchester County, New York, in a small town called Sleepy Hollow. Um, you know, Westchester is actually has pretty good lacrosse um, up and down the Hudson River there. But I unfortunately didn't come across lacrosse until uh, my sophomore year in high school. So Did that's, I didn't start until sophomore year. So you didn't come across it at all? Yeah, I mean, I didn't even know it existed. I, I'd gone to Catholic school most of my life, so that probably was part of it. And then my first year in a, in a public school, I was a sophomore in high school. And uh, it was, it was that's the same. I only played football up until then. And that's when I recognized that there was more than just football out there and more possibility. And it was a spring sport, and I'm a I'm Dominican, so... Um, I, you know, I, got, I get a lot of crap from my uncles for not being a baseball player. Um, <laughs> But I, I didn't learn it until I was a sophomore, and it was, the, it was kind of the – I'm sure everyone knows someone at least who's had this journey where, hey, you know, lacrosse is just football with a stick. And I, that was all I needed to hear my first year. And um, I was lucky enough to play a ton 
you know, we, we weren't world beaters, but I played with some pretty, pretty nice lacrosse players, pretty good guys, some D2 guys, um, and Alfred, some D3 guys. Obviously, I, I was a D3 guy as well. Um, so just kind of a nice program. Learned, learned about it my sophomore year and really, really took a hold of it. I was a three-sport guy in high school. Everyone was really, and, you know, most of the guys that I, I was around were three-sport guys. So that wasn't out of the ordinary. Um, but during the spring, it was all across all the time. And I remember going into my – after my sophomore season, I joined a men's league. So as a sophomore in high school, and at the time in Westchester County, there really wasn't a ton of, like, youth leagues. There was club stuff, but unless you could afford the club stuff, you didn't do it, right? right. So I joined the men's league. So I was playing with, you know, Division One graduates and guys who were off for the summer it was kind of it was more unfortunately it was a beer league really is what it was in 2005 2004 um but that's where I really learned lacrosse was in the summers playing with these grown men what so when you came to the sport as a sophomore you're new to the sport I mean it didn't even sound like you had a stick right you said you just you just Not, discovered I remember this thing, right? I showed up to winter workouts after lacrosse practice, after a wrestling practice, because we were still in season. And I met the coach, Gary DeVico, and um, I showed up with a Models stick. It probably cost me 30 bucks. It didn't have a butt end. It was flat as a rock. And I practiced maybe half to practice, and then he gave me a pole, and he said, you're going to play defense. And... Uh, then I played defense for the next three years of my life. <laughs> but he gave, he gave me my first stick. Uh, it was kind of just probably something they had in the closet that some senior left after they graduated. And I played with that thing for the next three years. Did you – you said you were playing men's league. Yes. In the offseason. Were you still playing close defense there? Or were, yes. you, were, you, were you mixing it up? I was playing close. I, I only played defense uh, until college. So I played pole until college. And then uh, – Summer league was really about going out there and learning the game. Like, I, you know, guys were telling me, like, no, you, you can't step over that line, right? I learned that in the summer league. Right. Um, granted, I had just played an entire season as a starter on defense in high school, but there's just only so much you can teach a guy, right? Like, you know, our program, I think, is, uh, has struggled numbers-wise. We had probably, like, 23 kids on the team, um, which is not nothing to balk at, but in Westchester County where you have people coming off the bus with 50 guys, right? Right. Um, it was a different world, and I think we were we were fortunate enough to learn the game from a guy who, who, really preached the fundamentals. Um, and I was just on the phone with him last night, um, someone that I still talk to and and think about what the right and wrong way to play the game is, right? And um, he was just preaching to me that what what he's always taught is is grit, right? It's like we're gonna get every ground ball, we're gonna be tough, we're gonna box guys out, and that's gonna make up for the the lack of, uh, of, you know, really great stick skills and moving the ball upfield and right. the things we all wish we can get a team to do, right? Um, so that, that's how I learned, really just kind of hard-nosed lacrosse from a guy who played in the, in the 70s and, and got it. The, what I loved about your story was the, the amount of learning that went on in the summer. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, I, I'm, I have historically, and I'm very fond of organizing pickup games, right? And those are always so important. And we used to organize pickup games at really wide age levels. Hey, seventh grade through whatever, right? Yeah. And 
you know, we'd, I'd love to get matchups when I played with like a seventh or an eighth grader, right? Just yeah. like you said, right? Yeah. And just talk him through it, yeah. right? It takes him a second because he feels like he's, you're probably trying to con him, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what are you up to? <laughs> right. Yeah. But once he realizes, oh, you know. I mean, I'll tell you, I've been, I've been put in some positions where I remember playing in Lake Placid on a men's team. And I was, I was running out to cover this guy. And the goalie just said, duck. And he shot over my head, and he literally put a hole in the net. And it was it was John Grant. I was right. I would, if I would have got hit with that shot, I'd be dead. But it's like I've been in positions where, looking back, I'm like, how you know? That's where I learned to play the game. I played right. against um, in some like little ratty tournament in Rhode Island. I played against Quinzani, a Duke kid, and I remember I was so proud of my Ithaca helmet because I was out there and I had made a college lacrosse team. And this guy walks across, and I'm guarding a guy with a Duke helmet, and I'm like, this is going to be a long day. But, you know, those are the things that make you a better player and a, and a better coach. Um, I think about all those experiences, and I know I wasn't, I wasn't a world beater. I wasn't a D, D1 guy, but those are the lessons that a coach passes on that makes what I think it makes a, a good coach. Yeah, yeah. So would, how would you characterize those three years that you played individually in high school? For yourself, I would tell you that that's where I learned how important fundamentals are, and I think so much about those practices every day. Um, but I also learned that there is a real, there's a huge gap um, in the sport still, right? There's programs that can barely get helmets and gloves, um, and then there's programs that have 50 guys rolling off with, you know, their number on a bag, right? Uh, and that's where I learned to just respect the game because if you respect the game, that stuff doesn't matter. Um, and if you and if you do the right thing, fundamentals, then you're gonna be you're gonna be a good player. You're gonna be a good guy. You're gonna give back to the lacrosse community. So for me, when I think back in retrospect, I think so much that like that really learned. That's where I learned that lacrosse is a very fair sport because if if you put in the time, and it's everybody knows the guy who's on the wall the most is gonna be the best guy. You don't wake up with lacrosse right. skills, right? Um, so I, in retrospect, that's what I learned. I would say during that time, I just learned to be really gritty, just like a really hard worker. Like I was the guy who wanted every ground ball. You know, as a senior, I was the only senior on my team in high school. So you want to talk about learning leadership? I, I got thrown in um, where I, I played. I was a pole. I was the face-off guy. I was on man up. I stepped in the goal when our goalie got a penalty. I was... I was the leader of that team, and that's where I learned what that really meant. The, I think it's interesting. You know, here in Texas, we, we grouse and complain a lot about the state, and I do. Yeah. About, all, the, about, the state of, about the state of Texas lacrosse and the state of Houston lacrosse. And as I've talked to people, and, and, and your story is consistent with that, as, as, you, as you talk to people, it's not a it's not Texas it's not a Texas specific experience, right? No. It's not a Houston specific experience. Not at all. The disparity between teams, right? The disparity in skill levels, the disparity between players on teams, relationships with school districts, all that stuff that we feel like, wow, this is such a such a Texas experience or such a Houston experience. It's not, man. It's every, I mean, listen, we were in Westchester County, right? This is like one of the most expensive counties in the country. And we're down the street from teams that are, are suiting up, like I said before a few times now, 50 guys, right? And we can barely get enough guys from the block together to put a team out there, you know? Um, I remember every year for at least my three years there, 
we, it was like we had to figure out who was going to play goalie. We had to go find a goalie every year, right? We didn't have the same goalie all three years I was there. So that, I think, is, is a part of my experience and an important part where you had to find guys who trusted you enough, right? right. And I remember telling the kid who played goalie when I was a senior, he was maybe a sophomore. I remember his name was John Lopez. I'll never forget it. I looked at him and I said, John, don't worry about it. I'm going to play defense in front of you, and I won't let any shots come at you. And, like, that's how you convince the guy to play goalie, right? right. <laughs> you know, um, needless to say, he became a great goalie and a great player and, and a good friend. And, um, but those are the things we did just to get a team out there because it meant, it meant that much to us. How good was your, how good was your coach, right? In, in that circumstance that you just described, right, to get kids to buy in like that and have a kid step up and say, yeah, coach, yeah, teammates, I'll, I'll step in goal and just get – Pounded. I, I always right? say, I mean, how, like, how good is that? He was an unbelievable recruiter in a really shitty circumstance, right? I mean, it wasn't like we were getting flashy uniforms every year, right? You know, and then when a kid joined the team, then he tells you, you got to go get a stick. And you're like, I got to find a hundred bucks. Like, what? There's no way my mom's giving me a hundred bucks for a stick, right? Um, so I, I always say, like, he's an unbelievable recruiter, and I think the way he coached us was the way that we needed to be coached. Because I think if, if he went out and just hit his lacrosse pedigree to the maximum and did all the things he knows, he's a you know, brilliant lacrosse guy he, he, in his own right as a player and as a coach, I think we'd be looking at him like, this guy is nuts, right? So he figured out like what we really bought into was being the grittiest team on the block. And anywhere we went, we beat guys coming off the bus in toughness. Right. Right. And they, they may hang more goals on us, but those dudes never wanted to play us. Is he still there? He is. So he's, again, despite his pedigree, right, that you keep referring to, he's still there. He's still there. And he's had, he's had a few really incredible teams before and after, and after me. I would say the guys who were seniors when I was a junior, that was an unbelievable class. You know, there was a, a kid who went to Ithaca who ended up being my roommate, George Angevine. He could have played at Ithaca, and he had a back problem, so he didn't. We had a guy who went and played at St. Vincent's. Um, he had um, somebody, somebody played very early on. I think it was like a 2003 graduate play at Boston College. Um, since me, there's been a few D3 guys. I would say there's one guy who stands out who I coached a little bit. His name is uh, Ben Perrins. He was a face-off guy. And he went and was a three-time All-American at uh, Conn College. So he, he's, he's still churning out. He's got a kid now who's being looked at by a few of the Division Ones as a D-Midi. Um, so he's still churning out great lacrosse players. And, you know, unfortunately, you think about all those guys, and those are guys who were fortunate enough to be able to play in the summer and fortunate right. enough to go play on a club team, right? And that stuff is unfortunately a huge part of our, our sport. And I say unfortunately not in a bad way. I just say unfortunately because there's kids out there who are unbelievable lacrosse players who don't have that advantage. Yeah. There's definitely a barrier to entry, right? Absolutely. And I, I've, learned that, um, I've learned that the hard way. And I would tell you, though, that, when I think so much about Coach DeVico, it's I still remember lining up and every single day after stretch, two-on-one ground balls. Every single day after stretch was two-on-one ground balls because that's what he preached. We, you know, we got to get the tough one, right? Right. So I love I, – I can talk about him for days. I, it's like he – you know, he made me the cross player. Oh, that's a great story. How, tell me about the team's success while you, while you were there. And I'm going to be honest with you, I ask yeah. just because I feel like I have to, knowing full well I'm not sure it 
matters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I <laughs> you mean, know what I'm saying? To be honest but, with you, I, I don't remember fully. I know that we had a, a really nice year. Uh, my sophomore, my first year on the team was a sophomore, was when the kid who went to BC was there. And he was like, his name was Michael Barreros. He was like a 160-point guy, 150-point guy. Um, he still holds the record for Subial points, obviously. <laughs> and then uh, my next year was that really nice class of seniors, um, and they led us very nicely. And I want to say we won probably 15, 16 games, which was very good for our program. And then my senior year, I want to say um, we probably won 13 games, 13 and 7 probably. But that senior year, you were the only senior. I was the only senior. Yeah, I was the only senior. So what, what did that – how was that senior year different for you because you were the only senior? I felt a level of ownership on that team that I didn't think was possible on the team. I have always been a team guy. Um, I was fortunate enough to play a lot of games given the size of our school and the size of these teams. So I've been a guy who's gotten a lot of play time across all three sports. Um, but until I was a senior, I didn't feel the full impact of ownership of a team. Um, and it was the thing where, you know, you go out for the coin, to coin toss and I was standing there alone, right? And, uh, and then later in the season, we named a second captain who was, I think, two years below me in, in grade. Um, so that just showed the dynamic of, like, I really felt an ownership of that team where I didn't leave the field unless I was being penalized, right? What was the, that ownership, what did your coach do to imbue you with that sense of ownership? Or did he? Did he do – was there anything overt – or was it just a subtle cultural thing that he developed? Very, very overt. I think the way he he treated me was um, with a different level of fairness, right? So I say a different level of fairness. I think he recognized that the responsibility I had as the senior, I deserved a little bit of different respect from him. And he would make sure that I got to speak before and after games. On timeouts, you say, you know, Ronnie, anything? Anything you want to say? Right. And by the way, like I didn't know I don't know anything about lacrosse this time. But I think he recognized that if I looked around the huddle and said, Hey guys, we're gonna go get this, like they would believe that. Right. Right. Um and again, I think he empowered me to do that and he he gave me the opportunity very early on in my life to learn to speak in front of people, right? Learn to be followed. Um, which I can tell you now in my professional career as well as my coaching career and my personal life. Um, has gone a long way, very long way. So that's where it all started. Yeah. So what? Um, you went to Ithaca. I did. At what point during your high school career did you decide? I think I'm going to continue this in college. <laughs> well, uh, the story gets even kookier. So I was a senior uh, in high school. I was playing football at the time. So I was playing my last high school football game um, on our home field. And this guy comes over to me after the game. You know, I was, we probably lost. I don't know. I was like sulking on the field probably. And uh, so I was lingering. And this guy comes over with his young son. He said, hey, my name is David Halesworth. We've been, we moved here last year. And we've been coming to these games. And my kid loves watching you play. Where are you playing football next year? And I said, oh, you're talking to me? Like, I'm not playing college sports. There's no way I can play college sports. It hadn't been something that I even considered. Um, so I, he was shocked by that. And he said, well, we love you on the lacrosse, league, lacrosse field. We love you on the football field. Um, You've got to play somewhere. I, at the time, so I also was uh, 
studying dance at the time. So I was four years into like my training as a dancer and right. I was doing all of the different, so I was doing ballet, I was doing tap, at like the whole deal. So my plan was after graduation to move into the sit, into New York City and audition to try to get into a, a dance program. So you can imagine my mind, I'm on a football field, probably sulking again after a loss. This guy comes to me, I need to play college football. I'm thinking about going to be a professional dancer. <laughs> so I'm like full rattle. So anyway, I, I grew to have a relationship with this guy and he was um, another huge part of, of my life and, and what took me to the next step. He was an Ithaca College graduate and his best friend who he played football and lacrosse with at Ithaca College um, was the head coach at Williams, George McCormick. And him and George had this plot that they were going to get me into Williams. <laughs> well, let me tell you what it's like to get a kid into Williams who doesn't have the grades. <laughs> um, so, you know, th those guys were unbelievable. They, they tried two or three times to get me into Williams. And they, we, got, we got really close, but it didn't work out. And I would have gone to Williams and probably played both sports. Um, but they, after a while, George said, why don't you just go to Ithaca? You should go. And he, he, he called over to the football coach. Um, and I got a visit shortly after, and now I'm in lacrosse season. And I go and I visit Ithaca as a football player. Um, and that started to be my rote. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Ithaca next year, and I'm going to play football. So this is my last lacrosse season. And then halfway through the season, I said, well, I'm just going to send the lacrosse coach a tape. And we'll see. And I, I think so much about it now because our kids are putting these unreal highlight tapes together. And I remember thinking, well, I'm not going to send them a highlight. I'm going to send him a game fill so he can see what I play like. And this was my mentality. And thinking back, I was like, Jeff Long probably He's put that tape in two hours for 30 <laughs> seconds. It was like, this kid's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, needless to say, I, I, I didn't hear, I don't think I heard back. Oh, I'm sorry. I did hear back from him. And he basically was like, I got like three All-American defensemen here at, like, in, at the time. He was like, I, I'm good. I don't need another defenseman. But you're more than welcome to try out. Fast forward three years later, I played three years of, of college football at Ithaca. And my third year, I tear my MCL. So I missed the whole football season. And now I'm getting towards winter, and I'm like, I feel great. I need to do something. So I walk onto the lacrosse team. I, hadn't, I mean, I hadn't played. Was it the same coach still there? Same coach. Jeff Long still there. And... Uh, I remember rolling into his office. He was like, sure. He's like, you can come try out. He's like, but I'm going to tell you right now. He's like, I'm not going to let you be a drill buster. That was his, those were his words. I said, all right. I went up with a short stick. I'm sorry, I went up with my pole. And after the first day, he said, I'm telling you right now, you're not going to make the team as a pole, but I love your grit. I love your energy. Pick up a short stick. We'll try you for a short stick d -midi. So that's what I did. And I made the team. And I remember that whole kind of few weeks of tryouts that he gave me, I remember him just busting my balls every step of the way. Ben Cosme, I'll send you back to football. I don't need this shit, you know? Um, but I, I was fortunate enough to make that team, and, and I, I mentioned it earlier, but it's one of the biggest points of pride I have in my kind of life was being able to go out there and make a college lacrosse team because it meant so much to me. And um, being able to play with some guys who – I mean, just could have played wherever they wanted, probably. You know, there was a kid who, who 
transferred from UMass, who I played with, and I remember seeing this guy, and I was like, how are we on the same team? <laughs> but, you know, I think it, it said something to, you know, every, every team needs, needs that grit, right? I was a guy who was willing to, to, you know, put my face in the mud for a ground ball, and that went a long way, and I didn't get a ton of playing time, but I remember scoring my first goal in college. I was my second year, and uh, it was a very – inconsequential goal in a game. It was like the 18th goal in like a 25-6 win, right? Um, but I remember like being so fired and my coach celebrated uh, and he's not a celebrate guy. So I was like, uh, that means something to me. Like that's always one of the memories etched in my, in my, in my mind. Um, but you know, I, I, I pushed through for three years in my, in my last year, my fifth year, right? It was my last year of eligibility. I went back to play again. And I was, uh, I was the old guy, right? I was the guy who was in an hour early and there an hour right. late because I had to ice and heat the knees. And <laughs> but I was, uh, I was a grinder. Uh, you know, I was a grinder, and I, I got a ton of playing time as a senior. I was not quite a, a starter, but I was, uh, I was a short stick D midi who was invaluable, I think, to the team in terms of, of grit. And I, uh, I, to me, that's like the pinnacle of my lacrosse career, right, is I got to – I got to go in and play with the with the real guys. Did um, you mention is it Coach Long? Coach Long, I did think. Of, yeah. You mentioned him kind of busting your balls a little yeah, bit. Yeah, absolutely. Was was that his personality, and that was that the way he coached everybody, or was that specific to you? Did that's he did way, he, did he way, figure out yeah. what your buttons were? That's the way he coached everybody. Okay. Yeah, he was a ball buster, and he um, he was a Navy guy. He played in the seventies in Navy. Um, he has his own like very storied lacrosse career. He uh, and he just loved Ithaca. Like that's where he raised his kids. It's where his his wife w works at Cornell. Um, and and the way he coached us was was to push us. And he he was a no nonsense kind of guy on the field. But you go to his office and, and you chop it up with him. And he was like you know Grateful Dead guy. You know he's super chill behind the scenes and, and uh, but when you hit the field, he, he, he let you have it, right? And that's how he coached everybody. And I, I think that's why he was, um, he was incredibly fair as a coach, I thought, right? He had no problem crushing me for busting a drill, but if, you know, the D1 transfer busts a drill, he's getting equally crushed, right? right? Maybe more so, right? Which is, uh, is a huge credit to him and, his success at Ithaca has been unbelievable. He's been there forever. I, I don't know the exact years, but he, uh, he's had a lot of successes there, and he's seen a lot of players move on. So there's, uh, there's a, a, a gent who is playing both indoor and the field game currently. He just won a championship with Denver Outlaws last year. He's an Ithaca guy who played maybe three years after me. Um, and, you know, Longman continues to get to get the guys up in central New York. And Longman has his own kind of crazy, who's the guy at Maryland? This is a stupid question to ask on a podcast. Tillman. <laughs> um, Tillman was an assistant coach for Longman. For a year. Oh, really? Yeah, he slept on Longman's couch for a year and coached at Ithaca. So, you know, Longman knows all these guys. He's, right? in, he's deep. And uh, I just think it's tremendous how much respect he gets in the lacrosse world. Um, and I got to live through it, so I understand the why behind it. How was, 
how was that coaching experience different between high school and college, right? Very, they seem pretty different, right? Yeah, very. How, how, did, how did those two styles serve you? Very well, actually. I think I've learned, like, my own style is probably somewhere between the two, to be fair, now that we're talking about it. Um, but it, it was actually, it was great. It was what I needed, right? I mean, I, I was going from being a guy who my coach looked at as leading the way in the lacrosse game, right? right. To a guy who looked at me as like, you're only here because you work hard, right? But that was a level of respect I think he had for me is that right. I think I probably don't make a lot of the teams that we played against. I don't make their team. I didn't have the lacrosse aptitude or the stick skills. I mean, I remember I picked up a short stick after never playing that position in my life. Um, so I think he recognized that the team needed a little bit of edge and he, and he allowed me to be that guy. Um, and in my senior, my fifth year, my senior year there, he allowed me to be a vocal leader, um, which is, I think says a lot about him because I think he didn't care if I was the best lacrosse player, right? He recognized that I was a guy in the locker room who was, who was trusted, right? What, what years were you there? I graduated in 2011. So that means I played the 11 season, the 10 season, and the 9 season. 2011, holy cow, you're young. Does it feel young? You're young. It's 10 years ago almost. Yeah, I know, it's young. Yikes. Um, <laughs> so I'm curious to find out when you got the coaching bug, right? Because a lot of people I talked to at some point during their college career, they went and coached at a local middle school yeah. or something like that, right? Yeah. So where along the way did you catch the coaching bug? So again, I think when I think about my, the landscape of Sleepy Hollow Athletics where I, my high school, Excuse me. So much of the guys who are integral in us picking up the stick or, or learning how to wrestle or playing football were the guys that came before us, right? So I still remember, you know, Joe Infante, who became a very good friend of mine. When I was in high school, he was in college or just graduating college. And he carted me around to all these men's tournaments. And when he was on a team, he's like, hey, let's put a spot for my guy. So he's a guy who really was my steward into the game of lacrosse, right? And, you know, I remember him giving me a few bucks to eat at tournaments, right? And this was a guy who was just out of college. He didn't have probably right. two pennies to rub together either. Um, so I think so much about that being a part of my experience. And in like I remember coming back from college on breaks or in summers and going and helping coach the football team, just showing up, and the coach – it's a, such a part of the programs there where the coaches are like, hey, Ronnie's here today. He's going to work with the D-backs, right? Or, you know, guys, Ronnie has this great drill he learned. He's going to teach us how to do the, you know, 3v2 from the side instead of from, from up top where we usually do it, right? So they, they allowed us to come because it was such a part of it because um, for us, we talk so much about identity in sports, or at least I talk a lot about identity in sports. And I, I, mentioned, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but... I'm, I'm one of probably very few Dominican lacrosse players that exist. I come from a high school that was probably 60% Dominican. So for me to be out there helping coach, it goes a long way because these guys now see, oh, like, we can do this too. Right. Right, and that, that matters so much um, kind of just in life, generally speaking. But I would say in sports it matters a lot to be able to identify with someone who's seen some success in the sport. Um, so to me, it was very important that I went back and I gave back and I, I was coaching uh, all the time in that sense. 
after I graduated college, I was working as a hall monitor at Sleepy Hollow. So that gave me the opportunity to coach three seasons because I was working the schedule. It was ideal. So, you, so what were the challenges coming back to Sleepy Hollow and coaching? Right? So there were probably boys there that you either yeah. knew the family or knew the boy, right? My, bro my brother was still there. Yeah, so what, youngest was, brother was still what, was the, what were the challenges? I mean, there's actually not as many challenges just given the type of community that we live in. Um, but there, was, there certainly were challenges, right? I think there's people who look at you and they're like, you're young, why would I listen to you? You're not that much older than me. That Obviously, you get that. And then you get the guys who just don't know you, right? They don't know, they didn't know that I played at Sleepy Hollow. They weren't around when I played, so they didn't have that level of respect for whatever it is that I had accomplished there. Um, so those were certainly challenges. I would say that the, on the opposite side was the ability to go in and guys to say, like, we watched this guy growing up. We watched him play when right. we went to the varsity games, right? So that gave me a level of trust with them that I was able to find success very early. So I coached what we call modified lacrosse in New York. So it's a modified game. It's a modified version. So it's seventh and eighth grade. Seventh and eighth grade lacrosse was combined to make a modified lacrosse team. Um, and what was modified was the rules. So typically you'd have like a shorter, shorter time, uh, shorter clock, or you have longer time to clear the ball. Like those are the little modifications they make to make it easier for success of a seventh and eighth grader. Um, and I remember going in and I was taking it very seriously. I had a playbook. I had like, you know, we had different clears. We had multiple clears. And I remember going and busting the... So was, but was that, was that you and your personality or was that a reflection of the coaching you had received? That was 100% a reflection of the coaching I received because in my mind, I wasn't adequate to be a coach. So I compensated by having this, right. you know, I had, a, I had a call sheet. I would, it was in my back pocket. I was like super coach. And I would like pull out the <laughs> laminated call sheet. I, I was about it, to ask if it was play. laminated. Oh, 100%. 100% <laughs> was laminated. And, that, and I think that was still me finding myself as a coach. Um, but also, I think I learned a lot, and the guys that I coached learned a lot. You know, we didn't, we didn't lose many games. Granted, it was seventh and eighth grade lacrosse, but it meant a lot to me. It was my first experience coaching, and these guys really bought into it. I, I coached them, you know, rough, and I spoke their language, right? Um, and a lot of coaches don't do that, especially with the young guys. But because they looked like me and they knew where I lived and they knew where I grew up and I knew their parents and their older brothers and their older sisters, I had a very different relationship with that group. Um, and, you know, those guys went on to be unbelievable lacrosse players and I had nothing to do with it probably, but it was a really great experience <laughs> for me um, to, learn, to learn the ropes and figure out what my style was, what kids liked, what kids didn't like, uh, you know. I know I, I looked at the guys that had coached me, uh, and I tried to definitely pay respect to, to the way I was coached. I was going to say you, you mentioned your, your style as a coach, right? That's your first season, right? Yeah. And, but at the time, were you conscious of developing a coaching style? Yeah. Yeah. I, I spent some of my time in college doing, like, coaching classes and coaching seminars. So I thought a lot of, like, the philosophy of it all. So to me, I was, I was one of those guys who thought, like, what is my coaching philosophy? And while I didn't, like, you know, write it on the back of a napkin in a moment of brilliance, I would tell you that um, I really think about the guys that coached me and what worked for me and what mattered to me. So 
you know, that, that was kind of the beginning of my coaching, my coaching chops, if you will, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, and, and those guys, uh, you know, some of those guys, I, I got one of those guys is at Holy Cross now. Uh, another one of those guys is at, um, God, he's going to bust my chops. His name is Isaac Newland. He is High Point. He's at High Point. So he was, they're the boy, they were boys that played on the 7th and 8th team. They were in my first 7th, they were the first group I ever You've got to take credit for that, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 I wish. <laughs> Those guys are great, and they're, they have uh, really nice little lacrosse careers. And So was that 7th and 8th grade team that you coached, how was that organized? Was it organized through the school? Yes. Okay, it was, yeah, so it was it a was school. It was through school. At the time, it was the first coming of the feeder program that was built by the gentleman I mentioned earlier, Dave Halesworth. So he started a feeder program called Legends. It was like Pop Warner Lacrosse. Gotcha. Right? And uh, that group was the first group to ever do that in third grade. So that group had been together since third grade. Oh, wow. Right? So I got them in seventh grade, and I just tried not to ruin it. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, that was the, kind of the beginning of the feeder program, which still exists today. I think they're called the Sleepy Hollow Legends now. Sleepy Hollow Legends. Yeah. I like it. It's all about playing off the mascot. What's the mascot? The Sleepy Hollow Headless Horseman. Is it, that's legitimately the mascot. That's the town I grew up in. Well, no, but I, I thought it would yeah. be kind of silly for me to make a Sleepy Hollow joke, and then you went up there and just you put one right out there, and you said that's, that's legitimately well, the, their... The town we grew up in is where the story was set. Right. So it was like the real place. And, you know, Washington Irving Middle School, and, you know, our mascot was... With the headless horseman, it was awesome. That's a pretty good mascot. I'm not gonna mascot. lie. <laughs> <laughs> I remember coming out on. Uh, we used to practice on like this empty field behind the trees that you can't see, so the team just we just wouldn't be around, and then we'd run out from the trees behind a. It was a. I think it was actually a. She was a classmate of mine, but she was a horseback rider, and she would come back on her horse, and they had this costume, where it looked like she had no head. And we would chase that out of the woods. It was like the most badass thing of all time. So we won that competition. That's <laughs> awesome. So that seventh and eighth grade team—that's your—that's your first legitimate yeah. coaching experience. First legitimate coaching experience. What, what happened next on your coaching path? Well, then I think I got a job. <laughs> like hall monitoring was not long. I wasn't going to pay the bills. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it had it. <laughs> um, what so what did, what did you study in school? I studied healthcare management. All right. Yeah, so then I went into healthcare, and I got a healthcare job, and I started coaching. Did, really, you, did you ever think about studying teaching or coaching? or? Yes. So I had gone into school as a business major, and then I was like, this sucks. This yeah, is the world's full of those, right? Yeah, we got plenty of these guys. I'm going to go do something else. So then I was like, I'm going to be a PE teacher. And I just quit I switched all of my coursework to PE. However, I never went and asked anybody if I can do that. So when I was like a junior, second semester junior, I was like, hey, I just realized I never officially did this. Can we just change it? And they were like, no, you're supposed to ask permission. You've been taking classes at this school for the last year and a half, and you didn't ask anybody. So no, you can't. Now your major is. So now I have, <laughs> so I had like half of these business classes, half of these PE classes, which luckily, fortunate enough, is heavy science in the beginning. So they were like, 
the only way you get out of here is if you do healthcare management. Oh, and you have to come back for a fifth year. And I was like, well, I guess that's what I'm doing. <laughs> and it worked out great. Uh, I think that coupled with, you know, what, um, whatever bits of leadership I picked up along the way, uh, it worked out great. And, I, and my first job outside of after that year of seventh grade was uh, with a healthcare clinic. So is this where... Is this where your, your coaching career gets derailed a little bit? Or were you big able time. to... Oh, that's no, a bummer. Big time, big time. So I, uh, I was only able to then volunteer at Sleepy Hollow for a few years, maybe two years of volunteering. Uh, and then I started working at my next job. And then that's where I was able to get a little bit more involved in the summer league stuff. And I was helping with the summer league for a while. Uh, and then a year later, I moved to Houston. So the, the summer league stuff that you said you were helping with, yeah. what, was, what was that? It was uh, a team called Chillax Wear. My buddy, Joe Fonte, who had, again, stewarded me into the game of lacrosse, he started this clothing brand called Chillax Wear. And it was, uh, it was a gear towards a lacrosse player. It was a lot of fun to, to be a part of. But we had a men's team, which we wore all the stuff, and it was, you know, cool. And then what he recognized was that the kid stuff, you know, when I say kids, I don't mean that like flippantly. I mean, like, it was maybe like a eighth grade team, a ninth grade team, and a, then like upperclassmen team, something along those lines. So I helped him do that a little bit. We, we coached a bunch. Um, we went to a few tournaments. It was really just kind of like tournament teams. It wasn't so much necessarily like a program or anything. Um, but we had, we had a ball, and it was easy to do because it was like, let's just go take Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and bang out eight games. Um, but it, it was, again, a really good time. I coached my little brother there a little bit. He was a, maybe a senior at the time. Um, so that was, that was fun. And then I ended up moving to Houston. And when I moved to Houston, I was like, well, I guess I'll never coach again. So when you came here, it was for a real job. It wasn't for yeah, lacrosse, right? I was like, I'm probably done coaching. What year uh, was this that you came to Houston? Four years ago. So that is 2015-ish. Man, that's so recent. Very. But it feels like, you know, time flies. So I came here in 2015. I, I played a little men's league. I was, that's where I was like, I'm going to – at the time, I was like, I'm going to get back in shape because it has been X amount of years after college and I hadn't done anything. I'd like bump on a log. So I went and played – I played men's league for, I don't know, two, two summers. You said you played for PBR, right? Yeah. Yeah, I played for PBR. So who are – we're going to get sidetracked here. For who, sure. Who are some <laughs> of the names I'm going to remember from PBR back in the day? Oh, man. Um, was – I mean, was Taylor playing for PBR I back played then? with Taylor for those two years. Um, I remember just showing up. I was – I didn't know anybody. Remember, I just moved here. Right. So I found the league. I signed up as a free agent, Use and they the were word. like, show yeah. up. When you say the word men's league in Houston, you have to put it in air quotes. Yeah. The league. The league. <laughs> yeah. where, where there were more than five lacrosse players at a time. Yeah. Yeah. So I showed up there, and they were like, you're on this team. <laughs> Introduced myself to a few of the guys, and they're like, what do you play? I was like, I'm a face-off guy. I faced off in college a little bit. That's kind of where I found my niche. Really just, like, not skilled, just, like, willing to cheat better than the next guy. And, you know, I didn't care if I got caught holding the other guy's stick or the ball or whatever. So uh, I was like, I'm a face-off guy. And they're like, cool. Um, so I would, I would only FOGO because I was so out of shape. 
And they're like, dude, you have to stay on the field. If you're in Houston, you, you got to run <laughs> These the guys field. are like, <laughs> we're exhausted. You have to stay on the field. Um, but I remember I, I had like a really fun time. I, I don't remember losing many face-offs, but. I'm trying to think of who else would have been. Benny? God, what's Benny's name? I don't know. I don't remember a lot of people's names. There was a really funny goalie that I had like really nice connection with. He was awesome. Um, the, the Episcopal coach was not playing for us, but we played against him a few times. Donnelly? Donnelly. Mike Donnelly. Mike Donnelly's one of my heroes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's got life figured out. <laughs> he does. He's got it figured out. So I remember I chatted up with him a lot, and he, he, was, he was open to me. He was like, if you ever want to coach, and I was like, oh, that's Just hard the, to resist. Well, that's, that's the key here in town, right? Historically, the key has been the men's league, right? Which yeah. Donnelly and I and, and Littner and I have talked about a lot, the men's league here has suffered lately because of the economy. There's not yeah. a lot of new people coming to town. Yeah. And in turn, the coaching ranks have suffered, right? Well, because that's, that's where it, you find your they coaches. They moved it too far away, right? I think the men's league moved from being, which was far away for you probably at the time. We were playing where the Dynamo practice oh, yeah, when yeah. I was there. And then they moved it to the Woodlands. And now I've lost track. I don't know where it is. So I think it also doesn't help that our, our city is 600 square miles. Yeah. You know? It's, it's all over. That's right? rough. So the, the time you spent with PBR, did that have any impact on you picking your coaching career back up? Were, contact, were there contacts None. that you made there? Zero. Did, zero, really? Zero. Zero. Be, is that, was that because, I mean, uh, you just weren't interested? The right opportunity no, no. wasn't coming up? I, I, it, wasn't, it wasn't even on my mind. Remember, I had so focused on the identity of the people that I was coaching, Right. So to me, it mattered so much that I was going to a black and brown community to coach, right? That I hadn't even considered looking for what that looks like in Houston for me. I w plus, I was so deep in trying to like have a career at this right. point in my life. I was like, I gotta figure this out. Yeah, like, that, that's I dragged cute, my wife from New York. <laughs> like, I better pay these bills or else I'm dead. Gotta make an effort. Yeah. So, I just wasn't in that state of mind. And then, fast forward, my wife met somebody at she was at working at a retail job I had removed her from the northeast where she was a coach and teacher and she was like I'm going to take some time off it's a big decision to figure out where I'm going to teach or coach next so she randomly met somebody at a retail job who had an STX lanyard and she was like oh my god like nobody plays lacrosse here and she was like you know lacrosse they were both in the northeast um, and she said you have to meet Angie Kensinger and this is not my story to tell, so I won't go too much into it, because I definitely want you to talk to her. But she, the next day, she met with Angie Kenzinger, and the rest was history. Fast forward, at, after that spring season where she coached, um, she was interviewing for a job here at St. John's, and she was introduced to David Cohn, who had just, he, he just, he had landed, just right? got hired. I mean, he had just started. It was very early on. And she said, oh my God, like my husband's a big lacrosse player. And he was like, yeah, it was a Navy guy. He was like, oh, he played for a Navy guy. So I emailed David that night. And I probably can find the email. So it was something to, to the tune of like, hey, I don't know how, how much I can commit. I know you're, you're new. Uh, my wife just interviewed there. If you need any volunteers, I would love to have a conversation with you about that. We met for Starbucks maybe like two or three days later, right on Westheimer. In Highland Village. What was, what was the state of his staff at that point? So I didn't know this, but at the time, there was no staff. 
it was him and whatever was left over from the Sam Chambers years. That was it. So all the guys that were coaching there, he was going to coach, basically he was going to coach varsity by himself. But I found out years later, right? So I go and meet with him. And I think between the time I emailed him and the time I met with him, he had met Kyle Dowd. So Kyle uh, has an unbelievable lacrosse pedigree in his own right, where he was, you know, number one guy coming out of high school in Long Island, played at Hopkins, played at Duke, um, played professionally, and he was doing one-on-ones with kids in Houston and somehow got introduced to David and was like, hey, I'd love to coach. And David was like, I'd love to have you. <laughs> and then I emailed David and, and we meet and he's like, I'd love to have you. And then the three of us kind of came together very last minute. But I think what's interesting is if you've ever been to a practice of ours or a, or a sideline of one of our games, we've figured out this relationship where we work very fluidly together and we know our roles, right? So what I mean by that is there is this level of ownership that Dave gives us where I run the defense, I run the face-off guys. You know, Kyle does the offense. Dave is like the man-up guy and Dave's the clear guy. But at the end of the day, if Dave comes over to me and says, we're not doing that, we're not doing that. Right. right? Like, we're, we, we, we joke about it all the time, but, like, we're really good assistants, right? Like, we take the full ownership until he's like, that sucks. I hate it. Right? Um, and, but that's what makes it fun is, like, we can look at each other. I mean, we've been in screaming arguments in the sideline, and it's like nothing ever happened. And our kids look at us like, that is the real world. <laughs> So I don't, I'm not going to pretend to know David. I've had one, one conversation with him in a bunch of texts. But I was going to say, I have a feeling that's how, that's how the discussion on the sidelines goes down. Yeah, yeah, that sucks. We're not doing that anymore. Yeah, that sucked. <laughs> or the best is he'll, go, he'll, he'll look over me and go, what are we doing? <laughs> and I know that's usually not a good sign for me. Um, no, but we, we, we understand each other, and I think uh, – and we speak the same language, right? So there is no – I'm offending you, you're offending me. It's like we, we have to do what's best. We've got to put our guys in the best position, and that's all we care about. So how much of that, how much of that is by design and how much of that is just dumb luck and how much of that is maybe somewhere in the middle, which is like David was smart enough to hire the right guys. You know, you know what I'm saying? What, yeah. It's, it's got to be somewhere in, the, in those three. It's, it's some happy medium of is them. Okay. It has to be because I think he recognized – otherwise he wouldn't have met with me or he wouldn't have met with Kyle. He would have just said yes. Right. But I think he was looking to understand, like we were both, all three of us from the Northeast. Right. So I think to some degree he was like, okay, I get how this is going to go. Right. Right. Um, And the kids, I think it was a transition for them for sure. I think the way we coach um, is maybe a little bit different than than the coaching that maybe they had received in the past or you see. Um, But it's just because of the way our personalities work together. We were able to really go hard uh, and get what we were looking for out of our guys here. How, how did you, it's an interesting point, how did you manage that transition with the boys? Yeah. Uh, I would tell you that David did a phenomenal job and really started with the, with the fundamentals. And when I say fundamentals, I'm not even talking about the lacrosse field. Right. I'm talking about, like, this is what it's like to be on a team. Right? Um, our boys, Dave does this fantastic thing where in winter, like in preseason workouts, they wear white T-shirts with their names on them. Right? And it's like, you have to earn the right to be on this team. Um, and that's gone a long way. We still do that now. And really, in the beginning, it was, it was number one, to try to fit, weed out, like, who are our guys? Right. And also learn their names. <laughs> right? It's a practical component. So practical. <laughs> um, 
but you know, that's still a huge part of our program now where I think guys really love that they earn their spot on this team and they earn the right to be on this team. And Dave spends a lot of time talking to them about what it means to be a good teammate, what it means to be a good member of society. Like these are things we talk about regularly. So what, I mean, what's your role in that, right? So I'm, I'm willing to bet the, the ownership, right, and the autonomy that you discussed on the sidelines, right? That doesn't stop on the sidelines. Right? No, it goes it, deep. It, it's, it, it goes into everything you just talked about, right? Yeah. So, so what's, what's your role in those situations where you're doing the, the non-lacrosse stuff? I mean, it's a lot. I mean, listen, we, have, we had 53 kids in the program last year, and we try to keep up with all of them, right? We have 16 seniors. So, I, I mean, I've never texted so much with a teenager than this year where I'm trying to figure out everyone's college process. Are you good? You know, did you get in? How are you feeling? You know, did you send the right thing in? You know, I've been writing, you know, uh, recommendations for kids. We were very involved, and me and Dave were recently just out with both of our wives. Um, we were having a drink, and we both get a text message at the same time that one of our guys got into a college. And it's like that moment is like the moment you live for, right? You're like, dude, he's texting us to tell us that he got in. Right. He doesn't need to do that. He could be texting his academic advisor or something, right? But he, that's how much I think it means to us. And I think the kids know that, and that's how much it means to them. How much time do you spend with David and the other coaches each week doing, like, planning cultural stuff, right? Not X's and O's, practice planning aside, just planning on the cultural stuff that you've got going on. Well, I can – so first of all, me and David are, like, very good friends. And so we talk all the time anyway. But, you know, it's like that uh, – our lives are just so interwoven now where we might be talking about our wives or travel or prepping for the lacrosse season or exits nose or this great, this great thing we saw, this wrinkle we saw on a defense or, you know, this upcoming season – We've been planning a few things we're going to do with our boys off the field, which are very important to us and, again, sculpts the way that our program moves forward. Um, so, I mean, di- weekly, daily, I don't know. Whenever one of us has, constant, a, right? whenever us has an idea, like you get that midnight text. I've done it a lot. He has a kid. He's awake all the time. He doesn't care. <laughs> so I did it recently to him. I was like, hey, so I was thinking, and he's like, what do you got? <laughs> We're texting for like 45 minutes at 11 o'clock at night. But the, the, the fact that y'all, I mean, your, life, your lives, right, are social. I'd say socially because it's more than that, right? But your yeah. lives are so connected and intertwined, it probably tells you a lot. Yeah, I mean, it, right? makes, it makes it easy. And I think we, we both believe in what we're doing here. Um, and it matters to us, right? And I think when something just matters, it's easy or easier. I, I wish it was easy. <laughs> <laughs> but you know that that's a huge part of, of what I think what we've what we've developed here and and again like when I think of like how much I've learned since I've been here I'm a guy who can I can get the I can get the guys going I can put them in the right spot but sometimes Dave's going to come over and say hey man have you thought of this and I'm like no that's brilliant <laughs> you know um, I'm still learning every day you know I I I don't pretend to be the you know this fountain of lacrosse knowledge. And I think when you do, you've probably stopped being a good coach, yeah, yeah. right? Like, I know I have a lot to learn. I've been doing a lot of studying this year on some different stuff that I think we're going to throw into what we've done 
defensively that I think is going to make us a lot better. And, and the philosophy that I take with Dave is like, you know, let's go learn it really well before we come out and start opening our mouths. So we actually, when he comes back from, from break, we're going to spend a good amount of time probably in here on these whiteboards figuring it out so that we can go and make it easy. Yeah, you as a coach presenting it to each other, right? Yeah. And taking your knocks in here with the other coaches, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things where, like, a lot of plays work on paper. And then you show up and you're like, oh, there's a guy there. <laughs> so it's the same deal, right? And I think we are, we, we are smart enough to know that we're not the smartest guys. And that's why we have people like Pete joining the team. And obviously, you know, David's experience as a lacrosse coach and at the Division One level is unbelievable. And gonna, we're going to take a lot from that. And, uh, you know, I try to figure out where I, where I can put my pieces in. I, I know that uh, David and Pete and Kyle are not going to tell me on the face-off anything that I don't know, right? So at the face-off, X is a place where I, I have a very high level of comfort, and I can go in and really coach the shit out of the guys. And, uh, and we've seen a lot of success there the last few years. Um, and now I've learned a ton about goalies because I recognize and every high school coach knows that your goalie is on goalie island. Right. They're just kind of hanging unless they're getting shot on, which is a nightmare for them. Um, but I've learned I, – I took this offseason and I really just became a student of that part of the game. And, uh, and I've worked with the goalies all offseason. So I'm excited to wrap that into our practice now, right? that and the face-off guys, and now really taking over the defense this year holistically, kind of the whole, the whole piece, including the goalies, obviously. So I'm excited to see what that turns into this year. What, um, going back to the cultural pieces, yeah. I mean, you just talked about all the different lacrosse pieces that you own. Are there any aspects of the cultural program here that, that you just own? That's my, I do, and I'm making stuff up, right? Yeah. I do the reading club for the, for the captains, right? Yeah. Or I do, you know, social hour on Tuesdays. What are there components of that that you just straight up own? So I would say that there's a few relationships I own. I think of it that way, right? I don't think of it as like portions because I think, again, we're so in line, David and myself and Kyle, you know, RIP Kyle, but now Pete. Um, but we're so in line that we're saying the same thing, right? So it doesn't matter who's doing what when because we know that we're, right. we're, we're preaching what matters to our program. So it doesn't matter who it's coming from. So to that degree, I'll tell you that it's not like we're owning different parts of it. Dave's here every day, so he has access to the kids. So that is fundamental to our success. Right. right? The kids will stop in here. They'll come do their – they'll come study here. They don't even talk. They just turn their back to coach. They'll sit here and they'll do their work. But they're here, and that just makes you feel good, right? And it makes them feel good that well, they have a place they can go. And, the, and as a coach, right, and a leader, the, the fact that they thought enough that this is the place they wanted to come. Yep. Right, that's the key. Yeah, and, right? and I think it's, it speaks volumes to, to what we have here, but I would tell you that I feel like I own different relationships. So there's the same way that I think of any organization, right? You're going to like one person more than the other. Everyone has their own flavor, their own cup of tea, right? So there's some guys that are much more comfortable talking to me about like, hey, coach, I, I got to tell you what happened today at school. It's not right. good. It's not good, right? And it's like, all right, lay it on me, right? Some of them are more comfortable doing that with me. Some, a lot of them are more comfortable doing that with David. I mean, they see him all the time, right? right? 
Um, but it's those relationships, right? And I think that's where you gain your players' trust and they start to learn who you are. Because I think we've, we've made an effort to not just be like the lunatic losing their voice on the field, right? We want them to see Dave with his kid. Right. We want yeah. them to see me, you know, hugging my wife he, after a game. He told a story when he and I talked about, I think there was a, there was a book that the senior class gave to his kiddo, right? Yep. I mean, that was a, that was a really powerful story, right? Yep. Um, yeah. I awesome. still remember, this was last season, I don't remember who we were playing, Unconsequential. But it was the day that uh, my wife's mentor passed away. Um, and they knew that it meant a lot to my wife, and it was like a very hard time for her. And, they, and Dave told me, he's like, I don't know if, you know, Coach Ben Cosby is going to come to the game today. His wife is going through a very hard time. And, you know, it was very emotional for me as well. I remember showing up to the field. I showed up during the warm-up. And, uh, I mean, every single one of them came over and gave me a hug, right? And, like, they told you they loved you, right? And it's like, that means a lot for a high school kid to say I love you to somebody. Right. They barely say it to their parents, right? Um, but, you know, I think that is the kind of relationships that we're trying to build. We're trying to build young men who are going to go out and be good men in the world. And I think learning that relationships matter and how you treat people matter, um, if they're learning it from a guy, I think is going to go a long way. How has Pete, since Pete won't come and talk to me. Yeah, we got to get him in somehow. <laughs> I'm going to shame him on this podcast. I have to. <laughs> I think that's what we should do. I have to I have to speak to him by proxy. Yeah. <laughs> how has how has Pete fit in? I mean, so this is gonna be so when did he come on board? Pete I don't know. I don't know technically, but he's been on board for a few months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I mean I I I know Pete, right? I mean he he slid right into that, right? Yeah, it's no big deal. He came, he joined us for our shellbacks camp that we did. Uh I think it was like eight weeks or something. Um, and he, he got right in there. First of all, Pete is unbelievable with kids. Um, you know, I know he ate that camp up, right? Oh, my God. He crushed it. Yeah, yeah. He was like in his element. Yeah. He was like leaving there jacked up. He probably went and did push-ups. He, uh, so that was, I think, where we kind of got to feel each other out and where our, what our roles are. And I think we'll continue to do that. And I think we continue to tell Pete, like, you're here because we need your voice, right? Like, Pete's here because you know his pedigree, right? You, you know what he knows. Yep. Like, we want, we want that. We, we want him to, you know? And, and I think it's going to take a while because I think Pete's, I think, very respectful human being. It's who he is in nature. And I think he doesn't want to step on toes. But I think, and I hope what he's already learned because we've had a few really great sessions. That's, like, what's left from our, our last session on the board. So I'm remembering. But I'm excited to unleash Pete. That's what I keep saying. I just keep saying, like, Pete, just unleash. Let it out, man. But he's, like, you know, he's, he's, he's a brilliant lacrosse mind, and I'm so excited for him to, to build his relationship with the guys, and he's starting to do that already. You know, I, I saw a few guys today. I was in here um, chatting with a few of the guys earlier, and they were asking me, you know, hey, what, what was the question? It was like, hey, is Coach Pete – is Coach Pete going to, like, coach us by himself? And I was like, yeah, what do you mean? They were like, 
nothing. We're just really excited. And I was like, okay, that's a weird question, right? Um, so to them, I think they just want to, they want to build a relationship with him. I think they've, right. they've seen what that looks like and the success that can be built from that. So uh, I, I think that's a cool question for them to ask. You know, I know they bust their balls about it, but like to, for a teenager to think about that, I think to me it says that they've seen the success of the relationships they've built with us and what they built with Kyle. Um, so I, I, I mean, I can tell you that there's two things. I think stylistically, Pete is very different than David and I, which I think is very important for a, a strong coaching staff. And the second thing is that Pete knows more lacrosse than I will ever know in my life. Yep. Right? And I'm comfortable, <laughs> I'm comfortable with that. <laughs> I'm super comfortable with that. Um, Dave, Dave said this in the last one, but Pete knows lacrosse, knows, has forgotten more lacrosse than we'll ever know. <laughs> That's the truth. Right. So I'm, I'm just excited to see him go to work. So what – I mean, we, we talked about your high school coach. Yeah. Right, and the impact he had. We talked yeah. about your college coach and the impact he had, right? Yeah. And now you're here at St. John's, and, and the staff's awesome, right? Yeah. I mean, what's been the impact of the staff on your coaching style since you've been here? And you haven't been here that long, right? But, no, we came but, on together four years. But yeah. there's been an impact, right? What's For been sure. the impact on you? I think, number one – I think just Dave allowed me to do it my way, right? So he let me take over the defense really fully last year. Uh, and in our first year, I think it was like, hey, like, you can run the box and do the face-off guys. And I think over time, he became, like, confident in, in what I was doing and how I was delivering the message. Um, and I think it's just a reminder that, like, there are no mad scientists, right? There's just mad people, and then there's scientists, right? So it's like, you know enough, you know what you need to know, put the guys in the right spot, and sometimes you're wrong, right? Right. And I, I can tell you that I can think of, I can't, I can't do it in two hands, the amount of times I've looked at my guys and said, hey, I really fucked that up, you know? That wasn't good. So... I think it's a level of honesty that I've, I've learned to coach with. Um, but also, like, I'm a big, I'm a big uh, student of leadership is what I, I, I kind of just say. I'm a student of leadership. I, I love to, to read and learn about different ways that people are being successful as leaders, who people think are great leaders, things like that. And um, that journey as a coach and the journey as a, as a young leader uh, in my professional life have have uh, have gone hand in hand, right? I think the same way you talk to people who report to you, it's not too different than the way I talk to my players. Yeah, I I tell people all the time. I don't remember the last time at work I yelled at one of my employees yeah. to get optimal performance. Yeah, I I just don't remember that. Yeah, right? not how it works. Yeah, yeah. Um, we you know what I am known to get a little vocal, especially on game days. That's my favorite. Well, I think the kids have learned that. Um, but they know what that is. It's passion, right? Yeah. They know that. And they, exactly. They know it's not coming from a place of, of anger. No. Right? right. And I think they've learned, they've learned to play with passion, which I think is something they, that is not something someone teaches you, something you see and then you recognize right. and then you, you do. Right? So I think they saw the passion that we, we were bringing with us to not only games and practices, but everything we did. And they recognized that. That's how I want to roll, right? Well, it's good that they, they recognize that because 
that when they don't and they don't bring that same passion, yeah. that that passion disparity, as I call it, friction, dude, it'll give you a stroke <laughs> as a coach, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Yes. So, so it's great when they pick up their game and recognize that and try to narrow that gap yeah, because that gap huge. will kill you as a coach, man. It's, I mean, it's huge. And I, and again, I hadn't coached in a long time and I was showing up to games my first year at St. John's and I was preparing for games the way I prepared for games as a player. And that's way too amped up. <laughs> Like you got, you can't be the crazy guy. <laughs> you like, you can't be the guy who's like, we well, should watch him, right? So I, I learned that in my time here. Um, I learned how to operate, you know, as a professional coach. David was a professional coach, right? I learned what that looked like, um, and uh, and and I and I like to think that the things that I've brought to the program around how we talk about, you know diversity and inclusion, right? Um, we'll have team conversations about incidents that happen, right, in the world, right, in the news. And we'll talk about, like, the rights and the wrongs and, and the how we expect our program to handle things if something ever happened, right, and, and what our expectation is. And that's a place where I, I'm very vocal, right? I, it matters so much to me to see uh, black and brown players in the game um, I think it's going to be a measure of success for us at some point. It will be the, the scales will tip at some point and lacrosse will, will break through to another level of success that we haven't seen yet as a, as a game. Uh, and I think when you start to see that disparity we talked about early on in this conversation, when you start to see that gap get narrow is when I think we'll have our biggest success as a, as a game, as and as a sport, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Hey, you mentioned um, being a student of leadership and some of the reading you're doing. Yeah. What are the last three leadership books that you read? Um, I just finished for the second time the David Goggins book. You can't hurt me. Um, my boys really love that one. Um, I'm currently in the middle of, for the second time, I put it down and I started it over again, Extreme Ownership by, it's not my fault, let me look it up for you. It's going to kill me if I don't remember his name. I can picture him. I can't think of his name. Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. And Five Levels of Leadership. That's another good one. So here's an interesting tidbit. When I was here with David, mm -hmm. when we got done, he, uh, as I'm driving home, he's texting me. Yeah. Title of a book. I'll read this book. We do a lot with this book. I think yeah. he sent me a couple books. Yeah. Right. And then sitting here with you, right, you you, you mentioned it, so I figured I'd, I'd yeah. hey, what are you reading, right? Yeah. So the... I, I don't recall any other staffs giving me reading recommendations. <laughs> so we, we, uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, we, we go deep and we push each other that way. Um, I think it's important, right? I mean, the three books I mentioned are, are pretty pretty different books, but there's something to be taken from everything. And the, the approach that I've taken um, in, my, in my development as a leader 
is that I, I don't want to go and subscribe to somebody's leadership style because that's probably not going to work for me, right? right? But I think there's bits and pieces to be taken from all the people who've been successful as leaders, right? And their journey and listening to what that's like. So, you know, which is very like opposite of the books that I just mentioned. The other book that I, I take my philosophy from is called The Happiness of Lead or the, the Happiness Advantage, which is a very educational, I guess, read for lack of a better term. And it's about, it's a guy from Harvard who did studies about happiness and how when people are happy, they're more successful, right? And if you take that onto the lacrosse field, the way I look at it is like, if I can build a level of trust with these guys and, and we can have a little fun with the game. Right. I mean, how many times do we tell a kid, like, just play loose, you're going to play better, right? Right. But you have to build that into the culture, so, right? So I, I think about that, right? I think about, you know, in the Extreme Ownership book, where what the, I mean, it's in the title, it's all about you need to own everything. So every outcome that happens here, you're not pointing the finger, it's nobody else's fault, it's yours, right? So that's the approach I take with the defense. I, I run the defense and I say, hey, I don't care who didn't slide, that was my fault. How come you didn't know that's where you slide? I didn't do a good enough job teaching you why that slide matters, right? So I think when you start to take these approaches, these approaches philosophically, and you start to put them in in your day-to-day, you can see the outcomes of them, and then it becomes a bigger part of your philosophy, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's why, I mean, that's why we do it. That's why it matters. I think that's why the books are helpful, and sometimes the stories are really fun and funny and stuff like that, too. So it's good. Well, I got, um, when, I, when I got done with David, I, I told him I was fired up and I was ready to apply. <laughs> to St. John's. <laughs> Let's get I'm, it. I'm kind of in the same spot again. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if there's what the, the acceptance rate for 49-year-old guys <laughs> is, but I'm all in. Well, Pete won't tell us how old he is, but I think you're good. <laughs> <laughs> Pete, we're all going to – someday we're going to discover how old Pete is, and we're all going to be terrified Yeah. because he's going to be like 20 years older than we think. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Also, I think he – still would run circles around me on a lacrosse field. I just have that gut feeling yeah, yeah. that he still has it. Uh, same with Donnelly. Yes. Like, I think Donnelly scored more goals in the summer box season than I did. That's, Jesus. <laughs> and I think he only showed up for like two games. Meanwhile, I'm like <laughs> complaining about taking the stairs. It's like these guys are incredible. Yeah, guys like that are, are my hero, man. Yeah. I mean, when you see Donnelly roll up at a men's game, it's like, how do you not respect that? He's got like the ankle braces on, the high cleats. <laughs> That's awesome. That's how I want to be in, when I get old. Absolutely. Which Absolutely. Is, isn't very far away. Got to figure it out. <laughs> man, I appreciate you having me out here. Oh, I appreciate you I'm having fired me out. This man. is fun. This was cool. So now at some point I've got to come back. And uh, so Mike Staub, who I think I mentioned was out yeah. at my house this past weekend, when he got done, I made him hang around for like an hour. And we drank some more coffee, and we got on the whiteboard. Got it right? going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we got to have you over for a little whiteboard session. So, we'll get, that's where we'll get Pete. Yeah, so I, I'm, gonna, I'm going to hit you up at some point very soon and say, let's dude, I'm free this afternoon. Let's, let's get it. on a white. Let's meet at the, what was this called? Lax HQ. Lax HQ. Lax HQ. Give me the code to the gate. Let's go. Let's right? go. So I'm going to take you up on that, man. That's like, awesome. Um, yeah, man, I would tell you um, this, was, this was definitely a pleasure for me as a guy who uh, I think just loves the game and doesn't fancy himself, you know, 
a high IQ lacrosse guy. Um, I think it's uh, I think it's awesome that you you gave me the opportunity to chat. No, and and that's such. There's so many consistent themes, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, when I was talking to Rich Moses, I mean, he's Rich Moses. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So I'm talking to Rich Moses, and I'm 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 spouting off trying to sound smart about my my philosophy on you know feedback loops and volatility. Yeah. And he goes. He goes, I, I have no idea. About? I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> you're like, okie dokie. Got I'm it. Like, but you're Rich Moses, man. I know. Well, that's like I just found out recently that the lacrosse coach at Texas A&M is a Sleepy Hollow guy. Is he really? Yeah. How did you not know this? I, I, I was like, how did no one tell me this? He's been there for 30 Ever. years? Since 78. Oh, wow. It's long. Yeah. Ago. Holy cow. Yeah, he's been there since 78. He was he. I think he played on the first Sleepy Hollow lacrosse team in the seventies, nineteen sixty eight. Have y'all hooked up? No, I just talk? literally I, I just looked up his name, um, a few oh, days ago. Tony. Tony's. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna I pull can. it up. I have it still up somewhere. But anyway, like the, the reason I bring that up is because like, there's just so much more to learn about the lacrosse in this area. Yep. And and the great so, thing, Tony Scazzaro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the great thing for me is when I do these, right, and I talk to folks like you and, you know, everybody gets fired up and they reach out to me. And what's cool is people constantly are telling me, I didn't really know him that well, but, hey, he and I went to the same high school. Yeah. yeah. Right? Or, oh, man, I didn't know he went to college there. My sister, you know, yeah. and it's crazy how, you know, how it's a small community, right? And, and, and. But despite the fact that it's a small community, people don't know each other really well, right? And this has been a vehicle for people to kind of connect the dots because I hear from people all the time about it. And it's a super cool side effect of this whole silliness that I'm doing with this is just now I know people are connecting the dots and reaching out to each other yeah. and talking to each other, right? You got to keep it up, man. Yeah, yeah. You got, you got a lot of work to do, though. You got to get up to Tony Scazzaro. <laughs> That's the next one. <laughs> That's the next one. <laughs> I'll have to put him on the list. <laughs> yeah. Mike Brand, I think he was the first one to give me a hard time. He said I needed to rebrand this. He said I was limiting myself. He said you got to stop calling it the Houston Lacrosse Project. He goes, you're you're the lacrosse you're, project. You've branched out. He goes, he goes, you're at least the Texas Lacrosse Project. That's fair, right? That's a fair. That's a fair feedback. So. Yeah, he could be on to something. But it's a slippery slope. It's gonna be the U.S. Lacrosse Project. No, I'm not that smart. <laughs> there's no way. <laughs> well, if there's one thing I'm, you learn, none of us think we're smart. Yeah, <laughs> I'm shocked I've made it this far. This far, frankly. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. All right. Well, I thanks so much. Yeah, appreciate it. Awesome.